take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. This is Rachel Gilmore from Path One at Discipleship Ministries, and we're on episode three of our Field Preachers podcast. Today, you're going to hear the incredible story of Jerry Herships, a former bartender and comedian who became a church planter in Colorado when he walked out of a ministry in a multi-million dollar building and into a bar where people gather for worship and service. Jerry's church is called After Hours Denver, and they make an average of 700 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches each week that they distribute to people experiencing homelessness in their community. He's also the author of Last Call, From Serving Drinks to Serving Jesus, and the book Rogue Saints, Spirituality for Good-Hearted Heathens. Check him out. So I've, I've been asked by Rachel to talk about uh, my journey with After Hours, which was a church I found out of a large uh, suburban church uh, for about two years, and then the bishop decided to make it a freestanding church. Uh, we never had a building in the nine year. We're going on our ninth year right now. Uh, the large church I came from, we were just coming off a $12 million building campaign, and uh as one of the three pastors that was involved in it really made me recognize maybe that was something I didn't want to do. And uh, I was happy to say that in nine years, uh, we've never spent one penny on mortgage or rent. Um, we've had one employee the whole time. Uh, four locations, we were told it wouldn't work. There was no way. Uh, we think it did, which is great. Uh, I just was reappointed this last July to go to Aspen Community Church, uh, which the irony is not lost on the fact that uh, After Hours uh, feeds 700 people a week uh, who are homeless uh, mostly, although we don't make them produce a homeless card or anything. Anybody can get in line, but most of them are homeless, uh, to going to the slopes of Aspen. So there is, uh, there is some challenge in that. And a number of people that are here um, have been through or are going through major transitions like that, either going from a church planning scenario to sort of a corporate job, so to speak, with, with the conference, or to go from an urban church to a rural church. In my case, uh, it's ironic, but After Hours Denver uh, never was a large church. We never intended it to be. Uh, we worship between 30 and 50 people, and the new church in Aspen worships about the same. Uh, I was clocking in about 15 years older than my average congregants at After Hours. I now clock in about 15 years younger than my average congregants. Uh, but they're very progressive theologically, which is great. Uh, it is a challenge to, for every pastor to leave their old appointment and go to a new appointment. Um, I've had zero contact with After Hours, which is strange, being a thing that you birth. And when you start with literally not a nickel in the account and you know, send it off and go, and they've got funds for two years. If they don't get another penny, and to, to watch the alliances that we've created with city government and with local business, and then to, on July 1, just say, you're nothing, no, none. That's a, that's a huge adjustment. Uh, but Aspen ends up being a great community of 7,000 people. Uh, there are 50 billionaires there, uh, but the rest of them are pretty regular folks, like any other small town with 6,000 people. Um, and a Prada store. So that, that, that part's weird because there's that odd discrepancy. Um, 
after our, if, if the intent of this in any way is to maybe give advice uh, to planners, I would say I, two things. Um, the first being, if you run your idea by anybody in the church and they hate it, you're probably on the right track. Um, if it's that they, that they don't get, good. They've got a church. Like, you're trying to reach people that don't. And so I would strongly suggest, because it can crush you, to be excited about an idea and pitch it and have people go, yeah, no, that's... I mean, good for you for trying, but that's... <laughs> I would pitch it to the folks that you want to see it come to fruition with. Uh, I think you'll have better, better luck with that. Um, we also uh, made sandwiches for the homeless. We did that. That was our call to worship. Made 100 lunches uh, every week. Uh, and I've said this before. This isn't the first time I've said it. But I said, you know, feeding hungry people for us was a biblical imperative. And it turned out to be our best marketing plan. Um, I've, I've yet to meet anybody in the country that says, we want to give a lot of money to you because I just think it's great that you're getting... 24-year-olds to go to church. We, we do. I mean, 90% of our congregation was, was 25 to 35. But that wasn't how we got money. We got money because people said, there's nobody near me who's feeding the poor in the, the same way. And that became our, our litmus test. And our donor base was nationwide. Um, it, it wasn't just the church. If it was, uh, we would have folded a long time ago. I mean, we just would have. Uh, our giving model is based more like off the United Way. Uh, nobody gives the United Way because of their great sermons or the color of the carpet. They give because they believe in the mission. And for us, uh, there was a lot of folks, and we got a lot of great ink as a result of it. We've, we've been in all the local papers, the local glossies, NPR. I mean, it's been great. And so I don't think that should be the goal but I think if you, and this is just me, there, I, there may not even be anybody else in this room, but I think if you remove service from your plant, you're f***ed. I, I, I and I mean that just because I think that's such an essential piece of the gospel that you may or may not get funded later, but who cares, because you were living the gospel. And to me, that was the piece that mattered, and what's spectacular for me now is After Hours is run by somebody different. The community is still strong. They're still feeding 700 people a week. And they're still building relationships in the wider community. After Hours, we said we only really do two things good. We, we are a community and we serve the community. And somebody smarter than me, and I wish I knew who it was, said, um, you know, if you want to know if your church is making an impact, if you close your doors, would the wider community know? And I'm certain they would with After Hours. And so that's work that I feel that I'm, I'm proud of. Uh, I will also say, in complete honesty, um, after nine years, pretty sure After Hours knew all my tricks. Like, I'm pretty certain, you know, I was telling Christian, I, I, I don't know if I could give them one more Peter Rollins reference without them rolling their eyes, you know, or going... <laughs> Oh, God, he's going to do an Irish accent. You know, I mean, <laughs> they can only hear about Borg and Crossan and Richard Rohr so many times. And so maybe that might be the beautiful piece of our itinerant system, is that 
you know, the guy who's in there now, Tyler, I'm sure he's crushing it, and he's got fresh eyes, and he's probably giving him a fresh message, um, just like hopefully I'm doing with Aspen Community. And I'll be honest, uh, the first couple of years we were in the park, I had park rangers come by and go, yeah, you're really not supposed to do this. And I said, oh, uh, and I, I didn't bow up or anything. I just said, oh, what, am I, what rule am I breaking? And they go, well, you know, we have food trucks. They kind of need a license. I go, right, to, to sell food, but I'm not selling food. I'm just giving them. Yeah, I said, you know what, here's my number. Here's my email. Let me know when I'm breaking the rule. This is probably five years ago. And we went on vacation and came back. And the ranger called, it was the first message I got at the airport, and said, hey, Jerry, uh, it's Todd. We talked right beforehand. And listen, I talked to my supervisor. I'm literally waiting for the shuttle. And I'm going, well, vacation's over. And he goes, I talked to my supervisor. And look, as long as you guys clean up, we're cool with this, doing this. Um, when Occupy happened, we went from no police presence to having uh, a black and white uh, eight feet from us. Uh, then Occupy left because, I don't know, it got not cool or old or whatever. And we still had the police, so we got to know the police uh, really well. And that part's been great. We got to know the city government. Honestly, I think we just outlasted them. I mean, I really th I think... And I've told everybody after us, I go, look, we need just one political chain, one new mayor, one new park director, one new person that decides that we're going to be in their scope and we're screwed. But that hasn't happened yet, so we've been pretty lucky like that. So, but it took time. It was a great day when I got invited to the mayor's office to, to discuss best practices in, in food charity with city government. That was a great day. And that was, an, that was a day that took probably seven years to make happen. So, One of the things that we got, and, and Rachel asked that we talk about you know, how developers can help. I am certain that there were people behind the scenes. Some people know Skip Strickland. Um, he just recently retired. After hours wouldn't have happened without Skip Strickland. I am certain that he was a voice that was an advocate in a room that I wasn't in probably multiple times that made it happen. So it as much as the, the, the government of the church can, be, can feel like a pain in the ass a lot, there are rooms that if you have the right people backing you, it's incredibly helpful. That's great. Uh, and one of the things that happened was early on people would say, no, I see how you're doing charity stuff, but I don't understand how you're building disciples. Like, how are you doing that? And I said, well, I said, We'd have somebody make sandwiches in the beginning of the service, and then they would go, where do you guys get the food? You know, somebody goes and buys it. They're like, who? I go, whoever wants to do it. They go, I could, you know, I mean, if you want, I could do that sometime. I'm like, cool, you should do that. And they would do that. And then the next time, somebody would say, so how does this stuff get down there? You know, we load it into duffel bags, and I throw it in the back of my jet, and we take it down. They're like, oh. I go, for seven years I've done They go, well, I can do that. I'm like, well, that would be great if you want to pick that up on like one day a week. That's like, cool. And then they would say, so do you need help in the park? And, then, and I would literally tell what I just said to you. And they go, no, no, I get that. I see how, how they're doing like service. But how are they becoming deeper disciples? And I'm like, I, that was the noise I made. <laughs> that was Mike Baum and everybody. He, he gets it. So, um, it, was a, it, it hurt because I'm like, 
You mean the way that they're slowly putting more Jesus into their life and being more selfless and caring less about themselves and caring more about the stranger? Oh, you want to talk about disciple? Oh, you want to, you want to know what six-week study I'm doing? Oh, that's what you want to know. You want to know what tools I'm using from the conference? You know, and that, was, that kind of pissed me off because I was like, wow, I thought I was doing it, but not. For the folks that are in line, uh, a lot of times there were key people you know, it's like when somebody says, I, you know why there's homeless? I just tune out a lot of it. It's like somebody going, well, you know why people get divorced? I'm like, oh, is there one reason? Because I'm anxious to hear what that one thing is. There's a billion reasons, and some of, some of them are fucking junkies. And some of them, there's, there's no way. They, the choices they made put themselves. In other cases, for example, in Denver, the cost of housing has moved people onto the street. It just flat out has. There'll be areas, I hear there's an area in Chicago that used to be all warehouses and now it got really cool and they're all expensive and the people that used to live there can't afford to live there anymore. Um, that happens in every major city and it's happening in, and I got to own the fact that I'm the one going to the cool bar, getting the barrel-aged Sazerac and it's like, good for you. You just fucked a whole neighborhood of people because you're pumping money into the very neighborhood of the folks that are now standing in your line because they can't afford to live in five points anymore. And you're like, so, I mean, I got to claim that. I mean, I'm a piece of that problem. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not the whole thing, but I'm a piece of it. So a lot of the, but there's a lot of guys in our line that are very functional that literally are like, I had a bad hit and I didn't have health care and I got, you know, one weekend, and I'm 60 grand in debt. And those folks are very high functioning, and we can pull them into it in a way that we can't necessarily do with all the, all the folks in line. So, um, so I was in entertainment for 26 years, and I get the question a lot, boy, that's, that's quite a transition. Uh, and there was elements to it uh, that, were, that were really hard and, and, and difficult. Um, I think when I went to seminary, if I'm crazy honest, I didn't have the language around it that I have now, but I knew for a fact that I was uh, straight and white and male and that I had a really cute little blonde boy and a beautiful wife and we got a great dog and I was reasonably articulate and I thought, well, yeah, you go out to the suburbs and you go to a big church and doesn't everybody do that? I mean, like literally, I was, I was uh, cognizant of my privilege, but not conscious of it. Not, not the way that Iliff taught me to be. And so I went out there and sure enough, I smoothed the church and got to know the pastor and who was a, grew up as that pastor as CEO model which is why he had a ch church of 5,000 people, and became the associate, and wore suit every Sunday, and 1,000 seats every Sunday, and jumbotrons, and it, it was great. And it, somewhere, and I don't know if it was Iliff that did this, or, or Borg, or my colleagues, or what, but somehow it just felt gross. There, there was a part of it that... I think when I, because I got to, what do they say? They say everybody wants to eat steak, but nobody wants to see the cow get slaughtered. L like, 
once I saw that we were spending a million dollars on a parking lot, once I saw that it was 10 grand to keep the lights on every month, and realizing how much a case of water costs, and realizing how little it costs to make peanut butter and jelly, and just the huge gap between that made me think, I think I'd rather do this other thing. And with the other thing, meeting in bars, this is true to this day. Uh, I had a lot of anxiety going into the morning worship here because I'm like, this is not my thing. I could never in a million years do what you guys just did. I just couldn't do that. Uh, I had anxiety going into Aspen because I'm like, this is like church, church. This is, there's a Gloria Pottery here. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, this is, we're not kidding around here. You know? And yet I grew up Catholic and I went to Mass six days a week, so I, I knew it. But for me, my comfort has always been, I posted last night when I was coming back from the, the Whole Foods run, I stopped into a bar and, and looked around and I just posted, I'm home. Like there, between bartending and, and stand-up, that's my, that's just where I feel at home. And so when we started doing after hours in those places, there's a shorthand language with bartenders uh, that I just knew I was one of, they knew I was one of them. And it just felt comfortable. It just felt right. But I'll, I will admit, like I said when I mentioned Skip earlier, there was a lot of ways that after hours wouldn't have worked if you, I didn't have certain key people. And, and man, if, I'll close with this, and I know I've talked too long. If, you're, if whatever you pitch fails, that as much as everything in your body will tell you that that's all on you, it is not. It is not all on you. There, there is, there, if you didn't have the right advocates, if you weren't in the right part of the country, if you didn't have the right bishop at a certain moment in time, and even if you did, but your colleagues suck, or even your colleagues and your bishop is great, and your DS sucks, you're screwed. Like, Christian, will sp I'm sure we'll speak to this, everything has to align. And if any one of those things didn't work, Jasper knows this with Bala, it, it would it would have been a it was a it would have been a dumpster fire like in the most horrible way, but it didn't. And so I'm very cognizant, and not to for false humility. I know I got certain skills. I'm 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 not I'm very aware of that, and I'm very aware that that's just not enough. That just simply is not enough. And that if you don't have the right colleagues that are saying the right sh in your ear when you're down, if you don't have the right DS, or the right bishop. Or, and then a bishop changes, and if that's not the right, I mean, it can go away in a blink, and that's just not all on you. And after 10 years now, I have a lot of colleagues that have failed in church planning, and I spend a lot of time on the phone with a lot of them, and I say, this is not all on you. And that is a horribly hard thing to believe in your soul, but I swear to God, and if you're starting a new church, the right attitude for you to be thinking right now is, well, yeah, that's probably true for other people. I'll succeed, though. Because you need the, that you need that kind of chutzpah where you're at right now. Isn't Jerry awesome? Um, so some of the points that really stood out to me as I heard him share were when he talked about kind of the driving vision of After Hours Denver being this statement: "We are a community, and we serve the community." 
I love that because I don't think you're going to find young adults that are over-organized religion walking into any type of church that isn't making a difference, that isn't serving the community, that doesn't see and engage and help those who feel marginalized and invisible to the world. So After Hours Denver is doing that in a huge way. And I also loved as a planter the way that Jerry shared about how it's not just about the planter finding the right project, but you kind of need this perfect storm of the right planter in the right place at the right time with the right funding, with the right district superintendent and conference staff for something to really be successful. The reality is that the majority of church plants today are not sustainable um, by the three-year mark. And sometimes as a church planter, we can take that so personally and feel like we're the problem. We are the failure. But that's not always the case. So I hope that you enjoyed episode three of the Field Preachers podcast and that you'll join us next week for another story, another journey, another life of lessons learned. Field Preachers podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.